Hey friend, are you struggling to find consistent paid speaking gigs? Do you want to know the exact six steps that you can take to find and book more paid speaking opportunities in 2024? Well, we want to make that easy for you. We've created a new free resource with the help of Dan Irvin, one of our highly successful speakers on our team. Dan has booked over $100,000 in paid speaking gigs in the last few years, and his six-step process is going to help you maximize your chances of getting booked and paid to speak in any industry. You're going to learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, and proposal emails and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps and we're going to send you this 18-page guide straight to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps and you're going to get that free guide. Hey, thanks for listening. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, everybody? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Hope you're doing well. We are uh, closing in on the end of the year. Really excited about that. It's a good opportunity to uh, kind of look back on the past year, things that how things have gone. I hope your speaking business has gone really well. Hope you've been able to book a lot of gigs and 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 uh, travel, make a little dent, a little difference in the world. I hope also that 2017 is shaping up to be a great year for you. So we got a lot of good things in store for the Speaker Lab. Really excited about that. But today, before we get into 2017, we've got a great interview with my buddy John Broman that we're going to be uh, sharing with you here in just a minute. Before we get to that, let me uh, let me give you a heads up that this is actually going to be the last podcast episode of this year, all right? So we're going to take next week off for the holidays, for uh, Christmas and New Year's, give the team a break, and then we will be coming back on January the 3rd with the uh, next episode, episode 114, 114. So just a little housekeeping note there before. So again, next week we will not have an episode, and then we will have the next one, episode one four on January the 3rd. All right. So again, today we're going to be talking with John Broman. John's website is frontrowfactor.com. He actually runs a nonprofit called frontrowfoundation.org that you can check out as well. We'll link up to both of those in the show notes. And uh, I would definitely encourage you to check those out. We'll talk a little bit about these here in the interview. But John and I, we talked through how he figured out what he should be speaking about, which is a challenge for a lot of speakers. It's just figuring out what I know I want to speak, but I have no idea what I should be speaking about. So we kind of talked through that journey. We talked through the journey about how he transitioned from quitting his job to losing tens of thousands of dollars to becoming a a paid speaker. So uh, I think that may be encouraging for some of you to hear. We also talk about the one event that he went to where he got 14 bookings out of. Uh, You're definitely going to want to catch that. We also talk through how he connects with other speakers, the importance of that, and also how he's transitioning from the college market into the corporate market. So if you are someone who's doing a lot of speaking currently in one particular market and you'd like to move to a different market, then uh, this would be a good one to uh, listen in on, on how John is making that transition. So let's get right into it. Here's my conversation with my buddy, John Roman. Enjoy. What's up, my friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Hey, today we're joined by my buddy, John Broman, who is a uh, stud of a dude, but also just a, a phenomenal speaker. It does a lot both on stage and off stage and uh, excited to get into his story and journey today. So John, what's up, man? How are you today? Good morning, brother. So happy to be here. Honored to hang out with you. So let's, uh, I always like to start with this, just kind of like big picture. Give us a snapshot of your speaking business and what it is that you, you speak about today, who it is that you speak to and kind of how speaking fits into everything. So currently I am speaking about 40 times a year and the majority of those are to college students. And uh, as I transition a bit into the, you know, what I would call the non-student or corporate market, direct sales, et cetera, my message is really one of, it's an inspirational message and it's a strategy for fully engaging in life. So I'm oftentimes 
brought in on the college campuses for leadership events or, or orientations. And companies like to use me as their kickoff speaker to big events to really set the tone or perhaps as a wind-up speaker to sort of send people out with great energy and excitement about making the most of their world. And I've been doing that for about eight years now, full-time. And this whole thing started around a charity called Front Row Foundation, which was started back in 2005 with a small group of friends who just wanted to make a difference. And that charity, I think, created so much inspiration within our community from the people that we were able to connect to that that ultimately translated into sharing the story of that charity and what we were learning from these individuals that we were serving. That's where the speech came from. And that's what I write about and speak about. And that's how I serve in the world right now. I want to dig into the uh, the the charity piece, because I know that is a big piece of not only the speaking, but just kind of, I would say, who you are as a human and a big Absolutely. thing that, that you're, you're really passionate about and, and that you, you believe in. And it's a really cool concept. So we'll get into that in a second. So that's one of the pieces of what you speak about. So do you feel like your message categorized would be more kind of a motivational type of feel? Or what's kind of the, if you're pitching it to a particular client, what, what's the angle or the outcome that they're looking for? that you bring to the table? Yeah, I definitely think they're usually looking for motivation. They're saying, I want my, my team, my students, my, my group to feel inspired. I want them to have perspective. I want them to have appreciation for their work or their role or their, where they are right now. I want them to feel excited to build and connect with people and make the most of what they have. And that, in a sense, is what the message is all about. And really to explain that, I will tell you what the charity does. So Front Row Foundation helps kids and adults who have a life-threatening illness to experience the live event of their dreams from the front row. So it's like Make-A-Wish, um, but very niche and very specific. And we you know, help people have the best day ever. And additionally, we help people to have every day be their best day ever. So we sort of blend coaching and wish granting, if you will. And what we do through the speech is we tell stories of some of our recipients and what we've learned from people who are fighting for life about what makes life so meaningful and important and how to live with great purpose. And I think that what event organizers love about that is they love that their people feel inspired to make the most of every day. So they're definitely wanting something that's motivating and they want somebody that, you know, we always talk about living life in the front row is about stepping up. You know, it's about being fully engaged, fully present. And colleges are attracted to that because they want their students to be engaged, of course. They want them to be, you know, I wrote a book called Living College Life in the Front Row and they want them to be present for the experience to make the most of it. And companies want the same, especially companies that have individuals that are, you know, getting beat up, if you will, on a daily basis, people that might work in customer service that are dealing with difficult clients. They want to feel inspired and to have perspective on their lives. So whenever you first started speaking, was that, has the message always basically been that, or has it kind of evolved and morphed into that or like kind of talk us through that, that journey? Yeah. Sure. You know, in the beginning, it was definitely the core of the message was to be engaged. That was from the start. But there's no doubt that over time, it's been more and more refined, you know, as to how I deliver the message, what stories I tell, or how I I articulate, you know, what this is all about and what the front row is and how we started communicating about it. Because in the beginning, it was, you know, as the charity was started, somebody was saying, you should speak about this. 
it'll only help the charity. And I was like, I can't speak about it. This is the charity's brand. Like this is, you know, I can't, I can't take the front row concept away from the charity. And they said, no, this is the best of like purposeful, meaningful work. Every time I speak, I bring attention to the charity. Every time I speak, I, you know, so that's always been a core piece of it, but I just had to learn how to refine the marketing and the message itself. And so it definitely, I mean, every time, and you might appreciate this, Greg, that every time I give the message, I feel like it shifts a little bit every single time. And I've given it hundreds of times. Yeah. It's always interesting. Like you, you got, you know, 98% of it is the same from place to place and venue to venue, but there's always little nuances, little tweaks that may evolve and shift. And you may do it that one way and then never do it again like that because it just worked in that setting and it doesn't work other places or it bombed and it's not going to work elsewhere. And so it's definitely the talk I think is always an evolving piece of what we do as speakers. So, uh, so it, it sounds like that the charity came first and then the speaking came out of that. Is that, That's is right. that accurate? Okay. So, exactly. so kind of talk us through then you're doing the charity. Are you doing that full time? Is that just kind of on the side? Like how does that, how is that fitting into life? Yeah. So I have a full-time job back in 2005 and I'm just, what were you doing? I worked for, uh, do you know Cutco knives? Yeah. 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 So at 19 years old, I started selling Cutco and then I opened up an office for Cutco and then I became an employee of Cutco. And 14 years later, I find myself as the North American sales promotion manager for this privately held company, hundreds of millions of dollars of sales. We recruited tens of thousands of college students every summer. This was my world. And so I was speaking since I was 19, you know, weekly team meetings. And then I speak at the big conferences. I remember at like 20 years old, I spoke to a group of 1700 college students at 20, you know, about selling knives is really what we were doing. (laughs) Uh, but I never thought that would turn into a 14-year career and an amazing company. A lot of our friends were kind of born in the Cutco world, like people like John Rulin and Hal Elrod. And there's a bunch of names. People yeah. people laugh all the time. They're like, Jason Gaynard was telling me the other day, he's like, dude, it's all for the Cutco place. What's going on? <laughs> it's a cult. <laughs> yeah. But what, what happened was that, uh, you know, I, I so I had this job where I was making six figures. I was traveling the world. I was living the dream job, really. But I felt like I lacked a little bit of purpose. Like I wasn't connecting, like there's only so many fancy dinners that I could go to. And I really wanted to contribute in a way that I could be creative and kind of pave my own way, if you will, and, and, and create art in the world the way that I wanted to. So we just asked, how could we do that? You know, how could we serve? How could we contribute? I was looking for an outlet and we gave birth to Front Row Foundation in 2005. And I mean, there's a whole story behind that, of course, of how that all came to be. But ultimately, the charity started as a way I was just giving, I was donating tens of thousands of dollars. You know, I was donating hours of time. And three years later, I said, you know what, I'm going to go do this charity thing full time. By the way, no pay. I'm not taking a salary from the charity in any way. And I'm just going to go be a speaker and a coach and make money there and then give to the charity. So I always wanted my life to be 50-50. I always said, I want to spend half my time giving away to the charity and half my time making money. I didn't want to be the type of guy that was like, hey, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a ton of money in my life. And when I am full of everything I could ever want, when I'm driving the best car and living in the biggest house and have everything I ever want, then I'm going to figure out a way to give my stuff away to charity. I was like, I want to, from a very young age, give back along the way. And that's what we did. So I was building the speaking business and the coaching along with the charity. Now, this is actually an interesting piece of the story, which is, so I left this six-figure job to go out to be a speaker. And the first year, Grant, this is 2008 that I did this. So the charity was three years old. I took a leap of faith 
And in 2008, I spent $90,000 to call myself a speaker. So in other words, I drained my bank account. Yeah. I made almost nothing that first year. The second year, I went $87,000 in credit card debt trying to be a speaker. <laughs> and and uh, by year three, it popped and I made over six figures as a speaker on year three. And that was the turning point. And so that was the transition into my life as a speaker. And there's a lot of things there that I, I want to go into. So, okay. So, so the uh, point where you decided you want to do, uh, were you doing a little bit of speaking on the side? Just, I'm going to just do this to promote the charity. Like at what point did you decide like, I feel like I want to make a run at this. Like, I feel like I can do this because I think there's a lot of people in that spot of I've done some speaking here and there. It's kind of fun. I feel like there might be enough there that I could make this happen. That's a huge chasm to go from. That was fun that one time to let's do this full time. Like, that's a massive leap. So what made you feel like you could actually like you could do that? Well, I'm partially crazy, maybe that some would say, (laughs) because here's the thing. I know a lot of people are really good at sort of building the side hustle before they take faith from their job. But here I was, man, I just got married. I have a child on the way and I quit my job. And I mean, I just felt like I felt at the time I had, so I had not been ever been paid for a speech at that point. I'd never been paid. I had no lined up. I had no clients lined up. I literally just said I was spending so much time in my full-time job and then I was running a charity full-time. I had two full-time jobs. And I said, the only way I'm ever going to be able to build this speaking business is if I just totally step away from my full-time job because I'm not going to quit the charity thing. Yeah, That's what happened. I just, I literally jumped out and said, I'm going to figure this out. And I aggressively went to school learning and I just started studying people. I started asking questions. I started talking to speakers. How did you get into it? What did you do? And then that was... I just spent every waking moment that I had learning how to be a speaker. And I don't think I landed my first paid speaking gig for like, it was maybe even a year, you know, and then it was like, and then it just built from there. And then it really popped. I remember going to, and I'm just going to guess you'll ask me this question at some point. So I'll just tell you right now is like, I have one of the ways I focused was I, I chose APCA, the Association for Promotion of Campus Activities. I said, that's my place. That's where I'm going to go because geographically where they were, you know, the, and I don't know if you want me to get into what APCA is or whatnot, but but I went to APCA and I said, this is where I'm going to go market myself. And I remember I went to one of those conferences, Grant, and I left with 14 paid speeches lined up. Jack, and I knew that like that was, and I don't, that's not common by the way. So I want to be really clear right, with right. the audience. That's not to be expected, but that's what happened to me at this one event. And that was sort of the, what catapulted me forward. So even before the APCA experience, you have that first full year of going like just chasing a dream and yeah. you are just hemorrhaging money there. Right. What's your wife thinking? What's, what's family thinking? What, like, you know, you, it's kind of this thing of like, I have to almost somewhat stick my head in the sand to just know that I can do this regardless that it looks like the sky is falling. But at some point you got to be like, okay, this is not working. So like, yeah. how are you dealing with that with your wife? What is she thinking? What are you internally thinking? Like, Hey, maybe yeah. I just made a massive mistake and I just need great to go question. get a, a different yeah. job. Like, I, what, like I, where's your head at at that point? I love this question, man. It's so great. And uh, I'm having so much fun here. So, <laughs> so and, and by the way, I'm having so much fun because I realized that somebody's listening to this and they're, you know, they're out there maybe saying, Hey, I might want to consider being a speaker. I don't know that the path I took was the easiest and nor the one I would recommend for all people, but it worked for me because yeah. if I wouldn't, in the sleep, it wouldn't have happened. So I'm glad that I just said, you know, cause my dad said to me one time, he said, nothing's more motivating than waking up and opening up a cabinet and seeing no food. Right. And he was 
right. You know, there, there was a must change, must progress, must make this work in my life. Not like, Hey, someday it'd be cool because a lot of people talk about their side hustle. So my wife knew that this was for me, like number one, she had unwavering faith that I would pull this off. I think I can count one time that she was like, are you sure this is a good move? <laughs> it was one time, but the rest of the time I just said to her, I go, this will work. Cause if it worked for others, it will work for me. Like I had enough faith to know that I could learn anything. That I was like, if, if somebody else figured this out, I can too. It's just a matter of time. And if I keep trying and I keep throwing stuff at the wall, something's going to stick and I know it'll work. And I just knew that you know I could pull this off. And that was just faith. That's it. I had no other reason to expect that other than, hey, I, I'm going to work and experiment and try things until something happens. And that's exactly what occurred. I remember, I remember going, like I went to, I went to this one seminar and they were like, you got to mail out brochures. And so I went and I had this beautiful brochure designed at the time. I thought it was beautiful. Now it's crazy. I went and I, I, I sent 3000 of these grant. I wow. spent the last like thousands of whatever the number was, it was, you know, it was something like 3000 and I sent 3000 of these flyers. I spent the last amount of money in my bank account to send these these pamphlets out, these brochures, right? And I remember, and you probably know, I don't know if you're friends, but Jonathan Sprinkles. Yeah, yeah. So I was on the phone with Jonathan Sprinkles and I said, hey, I was just trying to get some advice. And she goes, whatever you do, don't mail out brochures. <laughs> I'm literally like driving back from the post office. And I'm like, no. But, uh, you know, along the way, there were some real hard lessons, but I, I just figured it out. And I, I'll tell you this, like, I mean, my wife was supportive. I definitely questioned it at times, but here's what I was really thinking at Grant. I was thinking to myself, I would rather be without a home, without a car, without food than give up on my dream. I knew that nobody would let me or my family starve and live on. I was like, I w if I had to, I would live with my parents in the basement. If I had to, I would literally get a job as a bartender on a Friday night to pull this off if I had to. But I just knew that if I keep putting my foot forward, I would get there. Yeah. I so resonate with so much of this. Like I remember quitting the job and the family thinking I'm crazy, except for the my wife, who's ridiculously, insanely naively supportive through it all. And you just like, this is going to work and I'm going to figure out how to make it work. And even like you said, if it all, if it all just goes to hell in a handbasket, like we can cut every conceivable expense. We can live on beans and rice. We can move in with parents or in-laws or whoever, but we're going to make this work. So was there a point that you got to where you felt like, actually, let me back up for a second. I'm curious. So you, you knew you wanted to speak just to kind of represent the charity. How did you identify who you wanted to speak to? Because there's, it's kind of like, I know what I want to speak about, but who I could yeah. speak to. I mean, you could, there's a lot of potential audiences for that. So how did you start to kind of narrow in on that? This was really hard. And this required a lot of work and a lot of thinking and a lot of asking questions to people that were in the business. But I remember several conversations with people where I would explain to them what I wanted to talk about. And people helped me connect those dots. You know, I remember having a conversation with Eric Lambert, who's the uh, founder of APCA. And he looked at me, he said, man, he goes, it sounds to me like your thing is engagement. You got to be really clear about what problem you solve, you know, for the campus and who you speak to. You have to be able to tell them that I speak to this group. I solve this problem. And when he started thinking about my message, he was able to actually connect that dot more than I was. He said, I think your message is fully about engagement. Living life in the front row is about being engaged. It's about, right, 100%, like right. being there and being present and 
that became a turning point for me when I said, that's the thing. I'm going to speak to engagement. Now, who wants their students to be engaged? Orientation is a big one. And yeah. so I mean, every year I give 25 presentations around orientation season, yeah. you know, because that's a huge one. Leadership events, they resonate with this message completely, you know, because it's all about being engaged. So I just had to look at like, what are key points of my message? What exists within it that I'm trying to communicate? What problem could I solve on a campus? And for me, that was it. And so I just, I sort of pieced it together a little bit at a time. I was looking at all these pieces. I didn't know how they fit together in the beginning. And it was about getting the right support. I can't say enough about for new speakers to get advice or support from people who are in the game. You know, I remember going to an APCA event and anybody listening who doesn't know, it's just, it's the Association for Promotion of Campus Activities and they bring together schools and they bring together artists. And we were all sitting around this table and I was with my friend, Tom Kriegelstein. I know you're friends with him as well. Yeah, yeah. And I said, Tom, what's the biggest mistake you see new speakers make? And he said, not showing up year two. That yeah. was his thought to me. And I thought, wow, it's, it's so brilliant. I just, it was that and a hundred more of those types of conversations where people gave me the little clues as to what my message was, who I should be speaking to, how to think about the speaking business, and then it just pieced it together. I want to dig in on that for a second. So you said one of the biggest things that helped you to get going was building those relationships and connecting with other speakers. I would totally agree with that, totally echo that. Because being a speaker is very, very isolating, it's very lonely, and sometimes you're just like, you feel like you're out on an island going, am I doing this right? Am I making any traction here? Am I, is this yeah. working? Is this not? And I don't know. So even just being able to look to a peer who's either you know next to you or ahead of you just to say, what's working for you or how's things going for you. So I'm curious for you though, especially when you're getting started, there's always that intimidation factor of feeling like, what do I have to offer to that speaker that I'm looking up to that may be years or light years ahead of me, but I know that they could give me a ton of wisdom and value and support and help and on and on. But I feel like it's a very one-sided relationship and that I have a lot more to gain from them than they have to gain from me. Like early on, how are you building some of those relationships to get your foot in the door? I think there's multiple ways to get that done. And every person that you'd want to connect with is very different. There were people that I wanted to connect with that would only talk to me if I paid. And yeah. okay, cool. I would have to have decided at that time, and I did, whether or not I had the funds or would want to pay for their particular advice. So some of the advice I bought, you know, I paid to get in to talk with somebody that could help me. There were other people that if you just ask nicely, if you just ask, and you don't go in asking maybe a hundred questions right, to begin, right. or you don't ask the open-ended questions like, hey, can you tell me how to become a great motivational speaker? But you give a specific question that's very targeted that I think you can get to some people who would just happily give you five or 10 minutes. Right. And if you get five or 10 people that give you five or 10 minutes and answer five or 10 critical questions you'll get oftentimes what you need. I mean, I would be somebody that happily provide advice to people. Now, typically how I do that is when somebody reaches out and says, hey, can you help me to get into the speaking business type of thing? Or, hey, I have a friend who wants to get into the speaking business and would you be willing to talk with them? I say, sure, here's what I need them to do first. Just send me an email and tell me there are three specific highest value questions that they want answers to. And we'll start there. Half the time, those emails never come back. Yep. And the ones that do come back, I usually take a minute or two to answer, give them an assignment. And if they come back with more, then I'll give them a little bit more. Yeah. And I think that that's just, you know, people could hear that and do the same thing as an approach to people that you want to connect with. And then the third way that I would do it is I would take John Rulin's approach. If you don't know John Rulin, he wrote a book called Giftology. I know you do, but if anybody listening doesn't, wrote a book called Giftology. 
And John's very much a big fan of radical generosity to give gifts to people that would create some time. And I'll give you an example of how this worked in my life. So our mutual friend, Michael Port, you know, I gave Michael a pretty radical gift. And I will tell you that that made an impression with Michael. And, you know, Michael is somebody that I look up to. Michael is a hero of mine, if you will. And so I've used the idea of radical generosity to be able to connect with and converse with people. And everybody's different. So you just have to look at who you want to connect with and what's needed in that particular situation in order to go get that advice. What do you feel like are some of those big leverage point questions for, especially for new speakers? Because oh, again, I, I totally would echo what you're saying. The how do I become a speaker is the same question as, you know, how do I... How do I become a good parent? And how do I have a good marriage? And how do I build a house? Like those are not like three sentence reply emails. So the more specific, the better. So any questions that come to mind is like, these are some of the ones that like speakers really need to be thinking about, especially early on. Well, I I think you nailed it a little earlier on, which is who do you want to speak to, right? What problem do you solve? These are questions that speakers need to probably answer at some point. Right. When I think about highly leverageable things that a speaker needs to get started, I think about a speaker video. You know, I think about where they're going to find their clients and in what way will they connect with them? What association could they potentially connect with? So I think if somebody, and, and again, you know, it's all based on where somebody is coming into the conversation, but let's say somebody you know, is in a position where they know exactly what they want to speak about and they know who they want to speak to, then they should ask me a question maybe about like the video that they're creating or how can they particularly find that group. Another question would be is if you're a speaker that you know, for example, you know exactly who you're helping and how, and you've got a video and all that stuff, I would be then asking specifically for clients or do you have suggestions of who I might be able to deliver this message to? It's a question that's actually helped me when I go to somebody and say, here's my message. Can you think of which audience would most need this particular message? That's been very helpful for me. I'm just, you know, off the cuff here coming up with questions that I think are valuable questions that I've either asked or that have been asked of me. But again, I think the, the key points is the more specific, the better. And then whenever you get some of that feedback, again, you kind of alluded to it of taking action on it and then reporting back. Hey, you told me to do this with my website. I went and I made these changes. What's the next thing to do? <laughs> right? Because most people don't do that. And so I think for most speakers, most entrepreneurs, like just most humans are willing to help out people who especially who take action on it. And so the more that you take action on it, the more people are, are willing to help for sure. I want to transition to something that I'm kind of intrigued by in your career at this point. So fast forwarding, the bulk of what you've been doing for the past eight years has been in the college market. You mentioned that at this point, you're starting to transition a little bit to the corporate market. So I'm curious, first of all, on why the transition, and then I want to dig into the the how side of of how you're making that transition. Yeah, so excited to talk about this. (laughs) I just finished, Grant, I'm going to send it to you, my new speaker video. Nice. Um, So I have a video that's now going to be released in the next week. I'm very excited about that. And uh, if anybody's- I'm I'm going to pause you for a second. Clarify though, why do you need a new speaker video if you're speaking to a new market? So my video in the college market is shows college audiences. It's 100% focused on that particular topic. The testimonials are John came to my campus, John, and and the tweets are from students, you know, saying he rocked our orientation. It's 100% focused there. And I'm a big believer that if you do everything, you do nothing, 
And so I even, when I was creating my websites, my college speaking website is standalone because I believe, and this is just an opinion. I don't think this is fact. This is just my take on it is that when you have a website that says, I speak to youth, I speak to corporate, I speak to whomever you want. I know I've had clients tell me when they go to that website, they're like, well, then you don't really speak to students. I want somebody who just speaks to students because they really know that market. So my website is 100% frontrowoncampus.com is totally geared towards students. And then frontrowfactor.com is the one that I would send them to that is for the rest of the world, you know, direct sales and corporations, people that are looking for this message that now that video, which, you know, anybody can go look at probably by the time this airs is that video totally shows audiences, you know, from conferences all over all different sizes, big conferences, small conferences, but more of an adult crowd. Yeah. And that video speaks to exactly what they need. Here's what my speech is. You know, here's what I cover. And here, and it shows testimonials from companies that are speaking about it, right? Like, hey, he came to our company and this is what happened. That's why I had to switch the video. Now, I want to, I just want to hammer on this for a second because this is so critically important. And I think you've done an, an absolutely amazing job. In fact, I got both sites pulled up. I mean, that the basic outline and framework is the same, but like you described, the language that you're using, the images that you're using, the context that you're using is going to be different. Even if the talk is virtually the same, the way that you're going to communicate to a potential CEO or manager who's or sales director who's looking at hiring you to come to their conference is very, very different than the 20-year-old that's on a committee at their school looking to bring in a speaker in August for orientation. They're just two totally different people, different needs, different language, different lingo. And so communicating that through even just different sites, I really, really like that. I think that's really well done. Yeah. And, and I will tell you, it's funny you said that because my message, when I've given it to GE executives, I've given it to direct sales, right? Whatever group that is, it's the same message I'm giving to freshmen. Yep. References change, of course. There sure. are some stories that change, of course, but the basic message is there. The marketing is what shifts. And the marketing, the solutions are oftentimes the same. It's just the verbiage is very different. The feel is very different. Like, listen, colleges want their students to build great relationships and companies want their employees to build great relationships. It's just the way it's marketed has to be very different. Right. So first of all, like why make the transition? Things are going well in the college market. Why try going into this whole new abyss? Two boys at home, a seven-year-old and a two-year-old. And for me, you know, I found that I suppose we can just, we can talk prices here, right? On this show. <laughs> and for me, I found that the college market, I would be able to command a fee of three to 6,000 mm-hmm. was sort of the range that I was in. Yep. And in the corporate market, you know, my fee has in the range of 10 to 15,000, yep. which I've successfully been paid that fee now and has got me thinking, wow, I could do one speech and, you know, and be home with my kids then and travel less. And so I, that's my real motivation there, Grant, is to be with my kids. I also feel that as I get older, I tend to connect with that older audience a little bit more and uh, the younger audience a little less. I I love to serve the younger audience. I think I'll always still do that. There's certain schools I want to work with. There's groups that I want to work with, but I get to cherry pick now a little bit about what's the perfect size, what's the perfect date and, you know, and the perfect fee, if you will. And then I get to focus more on higher paid gigs and just fewer of them. 
Totally echo that. Would you know, totally would resonate with me for sure. So, all right. So you decide that okay, I want to speak in this totally different market. Where in the college market, you're a well-known speaker. You're getting booked. You're getting a lot of repeat business. But now I want to go into this whole other world where I'm an unknown. I'm I'm in some ways I'm starting from scratch. So you're in the midst of it right now. How are you starting to build your name in this whole new world? This whole new market. Yeah. So this is fun. So one of the ways I, I just spoke with a company a couple months ago, a big clothing line store. And uh, the way I got the gig was that a college student who had seen me five years ago is now working with this company and mentioned my name. And yeah. that was a, you know, that turned into a $12,000 speech. Yeah. And, you know, that's how it's starting to happen. Some of my longtime friends, people that I've known for 15 years, have now acquired positions at companies where they need speakers. And I want to make this point too, Grant, that just because somebody's your friend and they know that you're a speaker doesn't mean they know how to pitch you to their team or to their company. And I think that if you want your friends to help recommend you or endorse you as a speaker, you need to give them exactly what they need to say and tell them exactly who to talk to. Like, hey, let me write this out for you of what you could email to this person. Here's a video you can send. And you know, and here's the person in your company that would actually be able to maybe help out. So it's happening through friends. It's happening through people that have seen me speak before. And I think that what will happen is that I've got a book coming out in February, which is The Front Row Factor. And that book, I believe, will be the book that will then create even more speeches. So my speaking platform is building and will be amplified with the book, I believe. To be determined. To be determined, yeah. <laughs> but again, I think, it's, I think it's a good case study for people to realize, you know, if you're just because you're this well-known commodity in, not commodity, but well-known speaker in one market doesn't necessarily mean that it transitioned immediately over, that that you're in the midst of it now of building something up and building a new name and building uh, a new following over there in this totally different world. So do you feel like you're starting over in some ways? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. 100% starting over. It's just with different tools. Yeah. You know, I feel like uh, I'm in a better place to start. I have the finances and the resources and the I've got a better jump start here in this market. Cool. Hey, I want to ask you this. Now, this is something I didn't prep you for, but I ask any speaker that comes on, I always ask them, I want you to tell us about a time where it couldn't be worse than this. All right. So, <laughs> so every speakers that we've all had those moments, we're just like, dear God, this Sorry. event cannot get over any quicker. So, I mean, it could be like you just worked with a nightmare client. It was a bit weird audience, the setting, yeah. something crazy happened. The talk just didn't go according to plan. So you're laughing. So I assume you got something queued up. Tell us about a time where it couldn't be worse yeah. than this. Yeah. Well, we didn't talk about this, but the one came to mind a Immediately, uh, <laughs> but I can pull out a list, Grant. Right. I mean, I can really give you a list. We got war stories. We got battle wounds. I smile thinking about it because it's. I'm just glad I made it through it. I'm a stronger person for it. But here's <laughs> what happened. So I was already a paid speaker at this point, where this story is taking place. I'm already a paid speaker. I'm speaking 40, 50 times a year, and I'm giving a message I've given many times. I'm in front of 800 people. And what happens is very early on in the message, I'm talking like maybe five to seven minutes in, I'm walking into the audience and I just have this random thought that pops into my mind. And the thought is, it's like a little voice in my head that says, John, what would happen if you literally just lost your place right now and froze in front of 800 people? <laughs> And it was just this little voice, same voice that everybody you know gets in their head yeah. talking to them. 
But then I gave attention to the voice. I was like, oh my God, what if that did happen? And then I actually witnessed myself giving attention to the voice. So then the voice goes, oh my God, John, you're actually giving attention to this voice. You're actually going to lose your place. You're doing it right now. It's happening. In slow motion. And the louder the voice gets, the more I'm like, holy cow, I'm actually focused more on the little voice than I am the words coming out of my mouth or whatever story I'm telling to the audience. And Grant, it happens. I totally lose my place. I'm literally frozen in front of 800 people where I don't know what, I actually don't even know what I just said. I don't know what story I just shared. I don't even know what just came out of my mouth. So I don't know where to go next. I'm just standing there. And what probably felt like an eternity for me, for the audience, maybe was just four or five seconds, you know, six seconds. I don't know, but felt to me like, and then my body is getting tingly. My face is getting red. Now, (laughs) listen, the way I recovered was I said, just look at one person and talk to them. Just look at one person and just (laughs) smile and have a conversation just to regain my presence in the moment. And I did that. And then, and I never really fully recovered. I won't say that this was the best speech I ever gave in my life. You know, I walked away and the interesting thing, I was really rocked by this. Like I was, I was really nervous actually on the car ride home. I thought, I wonder if my speaking career is over now. That's a crazy thought, but it was so, it was so scary, so powerful. And uh, what I ended up having to do is that I would notice that the next couple of times I gave the speech, the minute I got to that place of the speech grant, my brain, because it was conditioned now with this deep emotional experience would go back to being scared. So I had to actually change the beginning of my speech and I had to write an affirmation that I would read before every speech to get myself into the right mindset. This was a really big deal for me. I thought this was going to actually end my speaking career. I know that sounds totally insane and now it does to me, but that was the actual, that was the story, man. That's crazy. That's crazy. It's, and I, I think that there's so many different things there of when we're up there on stage and we're speaking, like sometimes we, you kind of almost, I don't know, like sometimes you can get on autopilot and you start having like this conversation, this side conversation in your head or like this out of body experience where you're like, I'm speaking, no idea where I'm going here. I hope what's coming out is making sense to the audience. (laughs) And it's just like, what is happening to me right now? So yeah, I I I hear you there. And here's a lesson for your audience. The lesson for the audience is that if you get good at something and you do it over and over again and you start to master the craft, what you want to be aware of is that you don't want to become mindless in that game. You want to be mindful in your mastery. You want to be fully present. You want that story to be real coming across for the first time. So there's enough of my speech then that I had to make spontaneous to keep me interested so that I didn't get into that like that moment. And so I I wrote this affirmation. In fact, can I share it with your audience? Please. So I wrote this affirmation that I would then read to myself every time I took the stage. So here's what a backstage, you know, before they're calling me up, I'm reading this from my phone. It says, I am a moment maker. I'm a born storyteller. It's now time to be off self and on purpose. Right now, I'm asking the universe to guide me during my speech today. I'm asking for support in being present and authentic in my delivery. What I intend to share is my true story, my interpretation of life, my humorous observations, and my core values. I'm sharing today because I want to encourage, challenge, and inspire my audience. Today, I want to connect so that I can enrich their lives in some small way. I will trust myself and I'll speak from the heart. 
the speech isn't supposed to be like any other. Just go with the flow. Feel your next move. You love variety and you give a positive meaning to any situation. Everything that happens is a tool for teaching. Capitalize on offers. I can tell what that means later for your audience. State your point with simplicity. Breathe. I now give myself permission to have fun, to smile big and bring light to the room. I was brought here for a reason and I'm focusing my energy on the person that needs this message to have a breakthrough and create their new life starting now. I have full confidence that I will say exactly what needs to be said in the way I need to say it. I'm here to fulfill a mission. This moment is my calling. This is my life's purpose. Like hundreds of times before, let's do this. That's legit, dude. That's it. That's how it starts. So you do that backstage? Yep. Wow. Very cool. I like it. Good place to wrap up there. Hey, man, if people want to find out more about you, what you're up to, especially if, if people want to find out more about Front Row Foundation, what you're up to there, where, where can we go? Everything's at frontrowfactor.com. Frontrowfactor.com. Awesome. Well, we'll link up to that. So, John, thanks for the time, buddy. I appreciate it. Thanks, Greg. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with John Vroman. Really good stuff there. Hey, again, I would encourage you to check out his website, frontrowfactor.com. Again, that's frontrowfactor.com. Or if you want to learn more about the foundation that John runs, you can check out frontrowfoundation.org. Again, that's frontrowfoundation.org. All right, that wraps up episode 113. Hey, just again, a quick reminder that we are taking next week off for Christmas and New Year's. The next episode you will hear from us will be uh, the following week on on January the 3rd. So make sure you look out for that. That'll be episode 114. Hope you guys have a great rest of the year. Hope you have a great Christmas and holiday break. Hope you have a happy new year and we'll catch you in a couple weeks. You're awesome.